All right, thank you. That was the most dramatic reading ever of the birth of Jesus Christ. So this is going to be a hard, hard act to follow. The, you had the kids up here and the cuteness factor, uh, then the reading, and now uh, we got a message, all right? So we got a sermon here today for you guys. Well, I'm just curious, uh, how many of you have already seen Star Wars uh, The Force Awakens? All right. So of those of you, of you who haven't seen it, are you guys still are just planning on it, but you haven't seen it yet? Uh, wow, we are like not that into Star Wars here. Uh, I, you know, it, it really is interesting. Um, in fact, there were two months ago, tickets for opening night went on sale for a movie. It's not like there's one show. <laughs> it's not like it's in one theater. Uh, it's not live. It's shown thousands of times a day across this great country of ours. And yet, two months ago, as soon as the first shows were released online, uh, they were sold out. In, in fact, prompting theaters to offer earlier and earlier shows. Interestingly enough, personally, my wife and I almost got into a fight because I wanted to go by myself. <laughs> and, and she's like, but your daughter has school the next day. And I, that's okay. She can stay home and you stay home with her. <laughs> I'll watch it again with you guys whenever you want to. Um, I read an interesting article about the, the, the psychology of waiting in line. In fact, they said that for some, whether it's waiting for weeks or days or hours, that for, for many people, waiting for something to come out actually increases the enjoyment factor. And you're like, wow, how does waiting in line for a movie make it more enjoyable? They went on and saying one of the things that makes it more enjoyable is that throughout the process of waiting in line, you turn around and you look and you see all these other people waiting behind you. And what does, that does is it increases the value for you personally of that experience and of watching that movie. And I thought that's really interesting. Not only that, but there's the enjoyment factor of, of waiting with people and you're meeting new people and you, there's this fun of talking about Star Wars and quizzing each other, I don't know. We get to a story in Luke chapter two that has been told so many times. And so sometimes it's challenging for us to, 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 to go over it again and to be excited about this story that we've seen and heard. Uh, and we've, we've seen it played out in so many different ways. But one thing I wanted you guys to start thinking about is this, think about this. The people of Israel had been waiting for this event for generations. It wasn't two months, it wasn't waiting in line, it wasn't thinking, well, what can we do to make this a greater event? It was the thing that an entire people group had been waiting for, anticipating it. And then you get to the, the, the day, all right? And interestingly enough, Luke is the, the, the only author out of the four Gospels who, who spends, I think, 
a, a good amount of time talking about the actual birth of Jesus. And he goes over it so quickly. Verses 6 and 7, he says this. And while they were, we, we, I think we have it. Yeah, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. The famous story of Jesus' birth. It is such a humble story. The beginning of this, though, was in uh, 128. And you just, you know, you don't have to turn to it. But an angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So if you could imagine the wonder and awe of an angel of the Lord appearing to you, and then on top of that, saying, greetings, favored one. Favored one, the Lord is with you. Now jump ahead to what we just looked at in verses six and seven. She is on a journey to Bethlehem with her husband. We're told that they're on this journey probably because they, uh, they were gonna get taxed, and so they wanted a census. So it's not even like they're going on a vacation. It's not like they're going to Hawaii. It's not like, hey, it's Christmas time. Hey, let's take a few days off and let's do something great. It's like, man, we've got to go, depending on who, which expert you believe, anywhere from 60 to 90 miles. I know that doesn't sound like a lot for us in Southern California, but you gotta remember the times. And you gotta remember how close she was to giving birth. I'm told that this journey probably took at least three days. They're traveling up, all right, up in altitude, so it's a climb. Bethlehem was at 2,700 feet, and if you're starting at sea level, you know, it's, and, and you're about to give birth, this is a terrible journey. And then they get to Bethlehem, and it's not like this amazing facility was there waiting for them. <laughs> right? All right, if we get to Bethlehem, we've got this room set up, and it's going to be incredible. It's better than anything we could find here. So it's worth the journey. In fact, the situation was so humble that when I think about, when I, <laughs> it's kind of crazy for me to do this, but when I think about the room where Sophia was born, my daughter. And I compare it to the situation that we see here in Luke chapter two. I think, man, Sophia was born in a better facility, was in a better room, a better place than even Jesus. Eternal Lord, King, Savior. I mean, our, our room, and we didn't ask for it, you know, we showed up and, I don't know, we hit the lotto or something. There was like a, a living room area in the room, which was, believe me, great for me. Because there was a few times my wife was yelling at me and I said, oh, I'm just going to go over there. Uh, there was room, the room was so big. I mean, all her sisters, was, my sister was in there. I don't know if my wife wanted that, but it just kind of ended up that way. They had a, a, a different section for washing the baby as soon as she was born. It was, it was a huge room. But here you have the story of the birth of Christ, and he's 
in a situation where for us, we would be looking for antibacterial soap and wipes and gel. It's the humble birth of Jesus, and it shows us the character of God. You've got to remember, Christ came because we were sinners. We rebelled against him. We chose not to love him. We chose not to follow him. We chose to declare ourselves to be his enemies. And so Jesus left the glory of heaven. And yes, anything compared to that glory is going to look terrible. Five star to not even one star. But he does that for his mission and for the purpose of saving you and I, for allowing us entry into the same glory. The humble birth of Christ. It gives us insight. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever he has to do, wherever he has to go, whatever he has to uh, carry, what burden, it doesn't matter. He will do it for us, the church. And it's also interesting to think about, remember the words that came to Mary? You're the favored one. The Lord is with you. And and. and I don't know, if I was Mary, I would have remembered an angel appearing to me and saying something like that to me. But if I'm on a difficult three-day journey, and I, I don't know what it feels like to give birth or to be days away from giving birth, but to be on a tough, physically grueling, mentally challenging, emotionally challenging journey to Bethlehem because you know they, you know, they want to count everybody so you could pay taxes, Right? You guys can imagine, you know, taxes are stressful enough, right? Going to an accountant, getting your taxes ready, or if you do it by yourself, just even going to, to Office Depot and buying, you know, TurboTax. That's all stressful stuff. That's what Mary's going through. And I wonder sometimes, man, I thought the angel said, uh, the Lord is with me. <laughs> I thought the angel said, I'm favored that God is like looking at me like, oh, you've got this awesome privilege. And yet here I am. And this is, this is the circumstance. I think one thing we have to remember as we consider the good news that's about to come, a lot of times the good news of Jesus Christ, of great joy, gets clouded because of our circumstances. A lot of times our journey is tough. There are so many things that cause us to struggle emotionally, spiritually, mentally, right? Physically, there are things that just, it becomes a tough burden. And so sometimes we wonder, man, where, how is it that we are actually the favored children of God? The circumstances might seem to prove otherwise that maybe God is not with us. Maybe God has left us. Maybe God has forsaken us. Maybe he's forgotten us. So many difficult things. But what we're about to see, and it's very interesting because in verse 8, we see the shepherds. Right? We see the shepherds. And for us, you know, it's hard for us to really think about shepherds. I mean, anyone here know a shepherd? <laughs> Sylvia thought that was funny. 
Love it. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard for us to relate or to understand. You know what's really interesting about shepherds at this time? Shepherds uh, were not really looked upon like, wow, shepherds, that's a cool job. I want to become a shepherd. In fact, at times, shepherds were despised. They were often distrusted. They were often just automatically considered to be thieves. I thought R. Kent Hughes had a great quote. The only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. Now, nothing against lepers. I, I, I don't want to be not, I don't want to be like not sensitive, but you know, at that time, it was hard to be a leper. But right above lepers were shepherds. Now, don't get me wrong, when you read this passage, there's nothing in this passage that says this particular group of shepherds were thieves or dishonest. In fact, everything points to that they were, they seem like really good people, right? The way they respond, what they do, and you can read on uh, and, and see, but really there's nothing here that says this particular group. But as a whole, they were not really the ideal sort of group that you would first appear to and say, behold, the birth of Jesus. What we've been waiting for, for generations, for years, for all this time, Jesus is finally here. Much has been made about the fact that the shepherds here represent maybe the despised, or maybe the lowly, or maybe the downtrodden, maybe the sinners. Whether you agree with that or not, I do think for certain it is amazing for us to reflect on the fact that right here, you have people like you and I, just hardworking, normal people. And the angel of the Lord appears to them in the middle of this wintry night. They're hard at work. It's not, it's not like a fun campfire, <laughs> you know? They're making s'mores because it's Christmas time. And you have this appearance that in verse 9 we see is amazing because even the glory of God just surrounds the shepherds. And you've got to imagine the contrast. It's a dark night. You ever been f far away from the city at night? And you know, you know how dark it is at night, right? When you're away from town. It was very dark. And then the contrast in that dark night of not a fire lighting up the night, not some kind of LED light bulb or something. It is the glory of God. The Old Testament makes much about the glory of God. And the glory of God is so great that it lights up everything right there. And it was so scary, right? The shepherds have a natural response, much like the response that you and I would have in that situation. And what does the angel say, say to them? Fear not, verse 10. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The first thing the angel says is, fear not. You have nothing to fear. 
And secondly, he says, look, I've got good news for you. And it's not just good news. The result of this good news is that there will be great joy for all the people. And we're told why this is good news. It's good news because the one that we've been waiting for, the Savior, Christ the Lord, has come. Savior is a word that describes a deliverer, a rescuer, someone who comes to people who need salvation, who cannot change the situation on their own, who are helpless in that way. Savior. The title Christ, talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that they've been waiting for. Lord, describing his kingship, the one who has to be followed, the the one who rules the kingdom and his people. But not only rules them, but protects them, as a good king and Lord does. This good news changed everything. The reason why you and I even have this special Sunday, <laughs> we bring out the kids, we bring out the youth, we, 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 we have some lights up here. We, we had people come out pretty early to try to do things a little differently today. It's because of this good news. But as soon as we're told this, what, what I think is really interesting is then all of a sudden you have this multitude of angels, of heavenly hosts. Imagine what that must have been like for the, the simple shepherds out that night. Something, uh, you know, I, I read something this week that I thought was very interesting. The shepherds are so close to town that most likely they were shepherding a flock of sheep that was probably used for temple purposes. That's the only reason why some, of, some uh, historians and commentators think that they would be this close to town. But interestingly enough, because of the nature of their job, shepherds were often considered ceremonially unclean, unfit to come into the very temple and to worship. And that maybe that's why they were so despised or mistrusted. It was kind of like the holy huddle where everyone at church says, look at them, they never come to church. And yet, how ironic, because it may have very well been that they were raising the very sheep that would be used in the temple sacrifices. But to them, all of a sudden, and I I don't know how to describe this, I don't know how to envision this, but you have not one, not five, not ten, but a multitude of heavenly hosts breaking out in song. We've sometimes used this phrase or heard the phrase, the voice of an angel. I've never personally heard it described, being used to describe my singing for good reasons. I have the opposite of a voice of an angel. My singing usually causes people not to want to sing. But, you know, it's it's beyond my finite mind ability to try to imagine what it must have been like that night to all of a sudden hear the songs 
But I think more than the sight and the magnificence of this, and Luke records it for a reason. In verse 14, you have these heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You have even the heavenly hosts singing glory to God. And what's interesting about that is that the heavenly hosts did not need a savior. They were already in heaven, right? They weren't the ones that needed to be saved. They weren't the ones that had this unsolvable dilemma, rebellion against the holy king and creator of the world. They weren't the ones who were cast out. And yet, they all showed up. It's almost like, all right, maybe the, the manger, that room wasn't very glorious. Hey, let's show some glory to mankind. All right, glory to God in the highest. And if the heavenly hosts, if the heavenly hosts who do not need saving are singing, then I think the challenge for you and I, who did need saving, who did need Christ to come, who did need the gospel to come, who were the people waiting for generations and generations and generations for someone to change everything. Man, do we not have reason to sing? Amen? Do we not have reason to say on this day, glory to God in the highest, because, look, he's the one who gave us peace. Today, we think of peace maybe in a specific way. Maybe for some of the moms in here, peace means something very special. You don't hear your kids. The cries are gone. Mommy, mommy. I want, I need, can you please do this, et cetera, et cetera. Or even your husband, honey, where's, where did you put, when are we, how are we? And you know, so this idea of peace sometimes, right, is the absence of all this chaos, the absence of everyone calling upon you, the absence of people trying to fight with you, the absence of people disliking you or hating you, and we think, wow, take me away. Maybe for some of us, the idea of peace is the absence of some of the, the terrible things that fill the news today. You turn on the news or you point your browser to a news site, and it's just filled with news that is heartbreaking. Schools getting closed down because of threats. Children being, oh, there's children in here. You have nothing to fear, children. And so, so sometimes we think, yeah, that, that, that's peace. But the peace that the angels were singing about is greater than what we've just talked about. Think about this. There is a holy God who created the world. There is a holy God who created us. And then what did we do in response to that? 
We went against the design of creation. We went against the purpose of creation. And so we stirred up the wrath of God. And no matter how well you think you are living your life, if you've committed one sin, we forfeited the right to spend eternity with him. And so you and I, we could live our whole lives trying to be perfect. We could live our whole lives trying to be holy. We could live our whole lives trying to come to church on Sundays and praying to him and doing QT and reading the word and, and trying to do acts of righteousness. We could go to every single Be Generous event. But even our most righteous acts would not satisfy the holy wrath of God. And so there's a dilemma. There's a dilemma, you guys. Now, I don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but I cannot stand it when I know someone is upset with me. It's hard, right? When I was younger, one of the, the hardest things was when I knew my father was mad at me. Ah, it drove me crazy. I, you know, that, that ah, ah, you know, tiptoeing around the house, ah. Today, I, I hate it when I know my wife is angry at me. That's a terrible feeling. I was like, honey, hey, what's wrong? Just tell me. How much? Let's fix it. Let's do something about it. But maybe we've forgotten how terrible it is to have our God, our King, our Creator, displeased, upset, angry. So the solution, the only single solution was for Christ to humble himself, to come to earth, and to give us peace, a God who will no longer be angry with us, a God who will no longer have to pour out his wrath upon us, that's good news, amen? But you see, that means even in the chaos, just like for Mary, the chaos of traveling, the chaos of, I don't know, whether it was walking or being on a donkey, I don't know. Days and days and the discomfort of that, the terrible pain of that, the psychological hardship of that, the emotional struggle through that, of seeing your precious child in a manger. The chaos of life. The good news and the peace is knowing that we're reconciled to our Creator. So I just want to ask you guys to take just one moment right now today and do this throughout the week, throughout the rest of 2015. And into 2016, no matter what is going on in the, in, in the circumstances of your life, the chaos that might exist, the, 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 the distractions, the fights, the pain, the physical struggles maybe even, that you would take a moment and remember that you have been reconciled to God. Amen? That Christ has made it possible 
made it possible for God not to look at our sins, to say, I remember those no more, to not count our iniquities against us, and to promise us that eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And so, yeah, we have to join in the heavenly host today. We've got to join them. We've got to sing. Whether you do it actually or in your heart, (laughs) we have to sing because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Holy Father, you came to earth. You humbled yourself. You revealed to us your character and your purpose and your plan. You did whatever it took to save us, your children, to allow us to be co-heirs with Christ. And today and every day, Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember the good news. That that good news, which was for all people, Lord, would cause us to have great joy in our hearts. That it would help us to join in with the heavenly hosts. That we would sing glory to God in the highest. You've given us this peace. Even in the midst of all the things that are going on in our lives today, you've reconciled us to you. It's reason for us to sing, to pray, to celebrate. And so that's what we want to do, Lord. But we need your help. We need your help, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.